0: Welcome to The Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. Oh, today's show is a very special and jam-packed one with tons of value and goodies. So trust me, you will not leave today's show anything but inspired. Back by popular demand, we dive back into the mind of the one and only Bill Murray. We had a ton of feedback from our Groundhog Day episode And there was so much more to the elusive and magical being that is Bill Murray. We wanted to just dive a little deeper. And so today we're going to learn a little bit more about Bill's past and some of the teachings that led to such a beautifully unique perspective on life and how we can be a little more like Bill Murray and become so much better at let go and play. So buckle up, because here we go. Let's kick things off with our highlight reel where we talk about the good things happening in the world. Today's article reads, Woman uses old tires and turns them into beautiful playgrounds. Operating under the philosophy that play is a child's right Ant Hill Creations, a nonprofit run by Puja Rai, has so far built 283 different play spaces using almost entirely painted tires. Located in Bengaluru, India, most of the play spaces Miss Rai designs feature large tire sculptures of cars, buildings, or animals. Paired with more classic elements of a playground, such as swings, seesaws, and jungle gyms, the second most populous country on earth really does go through a lot of tires. So this is awesome that they are recycling them as playground infrastructures. Now, there's so many cool things about this story. But first off, there's the whole concept of accepting literal trash and building playgrounds. So that obviously is a clear tie in to our play theory philosophy, right? But how cool to show these kids, A, to provide them with these playgrounds. And you got to see some of these on the website. They are pretty magical. The one I'm looking at right now, it's actually an elephant that they got really creative with the tires and cut them in unique ways for the trunk and they paint them. This is really creative stuff here. But Aside from that accepting and building and just the magic that comes along with these playgrounds for these kids, it's teaching them the idea of resourcefulness and the reduce, reuse, and recycle in their childhood. They're seeing this in play and how cool that they are not only accepting and building, but also just teaching that social responsibility from such a young age. What a cool story. I want to go build one of these playgrounds myself. You can't hear that story without cracking just a little smile. So grateful for the good that's happening in the world. And it's more important now than ever to remember that the world is a beautiful place and there are very beautiful, inspiring, and happy things going on. I know that's hard to remember sometimes, especially if you watch the news, but that's why we provide you the highlight reel where we share the good news that's going on. All right, so it's time for Coach Neal to step in here for a minute and put on the stern cap because our shares have gone down a little bit. And we want to keep the reach going. So we want to build upon the momentum we had coming out of January, which was our best month ever. And here we are uh, just starting April now. And we haven't lost a lot of ground, but we haven't gained momentum either. And I really want us to keep building the audience and the message. So please, if there's a favorite episode of the Happiness Playbook, we encourage you. We challenge you. Here, Coach Neal, I'm trying to sound a little more stern than usual. I don't know if it's working, but go share that episode. Whatever your favorite episode has been, just share it tag us on social media. Facebook is a great place to do that. Instagram as well. Instagram stories are awesome. And help us do your part and help us with our mission to make tidal waves of positivity in the world. Because every day we need more of that. And help us do that by sharing, please. And and thank you in advance. And thank you for all those who are such great supporters and have been there for us and helped us get this far. You're awesome. Okay, so let's get into this, because there are so many fun things to talk about. Since replacing Chevy Chase on SNL in 1977, Bill Murray has embodied a very particular type of comedy that can be best described as ironic and coolly distant.
1: I don't worry about anything.
0: Over the years, Murray has transcended the label of that goofy guy in his movies and is essentially become that of a not only comedy legend but in many ways an idol who's bill murray
1: that's like asking who gone
0: last year the new york times ran a piece exploring murray's peculiar ascent from the status of comedian to that of a secular saint and this bigfoot-like character whose sightings become lifelong bragging rights
1: i'm a god
0: Supposedly, the amount of pop culture paraphernalia dedicated to Bill Murray rivals that of James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, and Albert Einstein. There's t-shirts, posters, mugs, stickers, pens, bobbleheads, and even prayer candles. And I don't know how you feel about that, but the fact that those exist tell you something about Bill Murray and his achievement to become this enchanting character of a person. There is definitely a particular irony to Murray's existence. You just think about some of his appearances. He has a cameo in Parks and Rec where he plays a corpse, which is only funny because it's Bill Murray. I can't think of anyone else doing that and really pulling it off. You think of the entire plot of Osmosis Jones takes place inside Bill Murray's body which again, it's almost like this given that everyone accepts that Bill Murray is just this icon that everyone is intrigued by, and in a lot of cases, obsessed with. And then of course, for some beautifully strange reason, he has a cameo in Space Jam where he plays himself. I'm going to date this episode a little bit by saying this, but if there's not a Bill Murray Cameo in the Space Jam sequel that they're making right now, I'm not interested.
1: Producer's a friend of mine, just had a Teamster come and drop me off.
0: What's the deal with this guy? It's next level what Bill Murray has attained, and as we examine him more closely, we see that his ability to reach such status and become such an influential human has much to do with his expert ability to apply all of the play theory principles but especially the art of letting go and playing. Let's dive a little deeper into the philosophy of Bill Murray and some unique application of play theory. Have you ever noticed how in many Bill Murray movies he doesn't seem to be taking the plot seriously?
1: Real Wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria.
0: He stands slightly at a distance from everything, enabling him to maintain a dryly humorous commentary about what's going on around him and his character. And This is so different from anything other actors have done or even attempted and is an incredible example of let go and play.
1: Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back.
0: Murray is perpetually sarcastic, even during otherwise dramatic moments, so much so that he often verges on or just outright breaks the reality of the scene, where so many actors take themselves and the script so seriously, Murray just doesn't care, and yet he somehow manages to preserve the core principles and plot of the film without sacrificing it in the name of his quirky Bill Murrayness. It's his thing. It's as if his very presence is a license to deflate the stakes of an otherwise dramatic moment. The entire premise of the movie The Man Who Knew Too Little, which is hilarious, is essentially Murray playing a man who has no personal stake in the plot surrounding him because he literally believes it is the world's most convincing game of improv. Relax, we're actors. This kind of detached, let-go-and-play approach to his comedic irony is actually something that predates him, although he seems to have mastered the approach. Before Bill Murray, we had the Marx Brothers, where the stories they portrayed were merely there to provide some sort of skeletal structure for the jokes, and Groucho would frequently break the fourth wall.
1: Pardon me while I have a strange interlude. This would be a better world for children if the parents had to eat the spinach.
0: If we go back even farther, this ironic, detached kind of comedy actually goes back about 500 years, even before the Marx Brothers. So if we do our research, there was actually a Japanese player and philosopher, Ziami Motokyo, who trained actors to conceal their intentions as they acted, even from themselves. And much later, a German playwright, Bertolt Brecht, I I, I probably butchered that name. Having been influenced by Japanese theater, trained his actors to develop a style where everything on stage was acted out in quotation marks so that every line is divorced from its intended dramatic weight. He wanted to make sure that neither his actors nor the audience fully identified with the characters on stage and what was happening. Now, before I get too intellectual on you and and lose you in the history lesson here, the purpose of this approach and style was to inspire the audience to break free of conventional thinking, to let go of the previous mental parameters and bring them a new experience to make them think again. So, what Bill Murray is doing here is just a very radical and evolved version of this same philosophy to really help people expand their mind. And Bill Murray's unconventional approach doesn't stop at the screen. As we mentioned previously, over the last few years, Bill Murray has been making headlines for crashing parties, photo bombing, and just randomly popping up in people's lives. Where most actors are swarmed with security and busy schedules and are very elusive, Bill Murray seems to have also broken the Hollywood mold and let go of that metaphorical fourth wall between him and the general public. And it results in these beautiful stories and moments that you can research on your own time. We'll leave some links in the show notes for you. So just to recap some of these delightful shenanigans he's done, in June of 2014 he turned up at the pre-wedding photo shoot for a couple he'd never even met. In 2011 he turned up at Karaoke 17 in New York and joined the party of some random group and just sang with them into the night. He served as a bartender at South by Southwest on the spot in 2010 for no apparent reason. He just showed up and started bartending. And perhaps best of all, in 2009, he turned up at the construction site for New York City's new poet's house to read a poem and give out some advice to the construction workers who were constructing the building. For a big celebrity, he is also notoriously hard to get a hold of. So get this, he doesn't have an agent. And he actually forces producers to contact him through a 1 800 hotline. And he only checks it a few times a year, which is, which has got to be frustrating for these producers who are trying to get him on their projects. So, just what is Bill Murray up to? I have no idea. Why does he spend his time doing stunts like this instead of the typical Hollywood leisure stuff like VIP parties and buying up European villas like other celebrities? One explanation might be found in an interview where Bill Murray gets deep and philosophical, a rare but welcome occasion. In this soundbite, we hear Bill share an experience where he got a late night phone call that turned out to be a life altering paradigm shift for him. In many ways, we might conclude that this phone call inspired him down the now well-trodden path of let go and play that he is so well-known for.
1: I'd like to see what I could do. I got, a, I got a sort of a drunken phone call from a friend of mine's sister, who I really like. And she's funny because she's really funny and she drinks a lot. <clears throat> she called me in the middle of the night and I was like, oh boy, you know, you ever get someone call you who they're not at their best? <laughs> yes. But she was so charming and she was so lovely and she just kept saying, You could. You have no idea how much you could do, Bill. If you could just, you could do so much. And I've never had anyone talk like that. And it was funny because I, it's it was like a drinking phone call in the middle of the night. And I listened to to her for forty minutes or so, forty five minutes, while I was, I was sound asleep. But it was such a. It was it was really like it came from the other side. I, I hope to remember that kind of thing. You just try to remember those things. Those that encouragement it resonated rang a bell inside of me a bell that rings a lot that says remember bill come back you know remember you know remember this is this is your life this is the only one you got as we always say to my one brother this is not a dress rehearsal this is your life (laughs) yes this is not a dress rehearsal this is your life you know
0: It's hard to not feel that same call, almost like a soulful beckoning to do and be more. The conviction with which he says, this is not a dress rehearsal, illustrates the point he's trying to teach us here, that there is so much more to do and be. There's an urgency to live your life boldly and meaningfully. And I just love it. Not because of how he says it, because of how he lives this principle. Not only in his movies and in his portrayals of characters, but in his day-to-day life. It's said that Bill Murray was a student of the mystic G.I. Gurdjieff a kind of guru who used to act irrationally to his students, almost as if trying to teach them object lessons. Gurdjieff, like most mystics, aimed at freeing the minds of men from illusion or waking people up to the reality of their own freedom. Another way to put this is that he was on a mission to help people let go of their limiting paradigms and pursue more greatness. This obviously shows through Bill Murray's approach to life. Gurdjieff was a teacher of something he called the fourth way to enlightenment, or alternatively, the way of the sly man. The sly man doesn't have to hide himself away in a monastery or practice severe self-discipline, but can find the truth in everyday life. The first step in Gurdjieff's method is to divide your attention. You have to become aware of both the external world and your own inner state. And then you have to refuse to get caught up in either world. The purpose of the separation is to take control over your own behavior and reactions. The sly man creates distance between the world, the self, and the self that is observing everything.
1: It doesn't matter! It just doesn't matter!
0: What makes Bill Murray so unique is that he turns the usual American style of comedic irony against itself, or rather, against himself. The result is a bit mystifying. Irony traditionally means that the character's words or actions are clear to the audience, but unknown to the character. Whereas Bill Murray takes us a step further, he gives us ironic performances wherein his characters are unaware of the meaning of their own activity. But we know that Bill Murray knows In Ghostbusters, for instance, when the woman he loves transforms into a demon, his reaction is not what one would expect.
1: Okay, so, she's a dog.
0: The fact that it seems outlandish for his character to react with such non is exactly the point. The audience identifies not with Bill Murray's character, but with Bill Murray, who distances himself from the stakes of the narrative. In 1993's Groundhog Day, which we dedicated an entire episode to, this ironic distance and self-awareness becomes his whole character arc through each repetition. Murray's character becomes more aware, first of his surroundings, then of other people, until he's finally able to achieve some distance from himself and his selfishness and can accept love and find some peace in the small town of Punxsutawney. Whether you're a longtime fan or just getting on the Bill Murray bus, one cannot deny the magnetic and larger than life spirit he possesses. He's a lot of things, but ultimately, his message of sailing away from the safe harbor in pursuit of a better and more meaningful and connected life is undeniable.
1: I'm sailing! I'm sailing!
0: For this week's pro tip, ponder this quote from the one and only Bill Murray. Be available for life to happen. Take a bit of time and let go of the busy in your life in order for life to happen. Slow down and let go of the shoulds to make room for the coulds. And answer this question this week. How can you make yourself more available for life To happen, I gotta tell you, I've been doing this experiment where I got an Apple Watch and I do not use my phone. I just have my phone plugged in in a cabinet drawer and I've only been using my Apple Watch and it has made room for life to happen. I am no longer sucked into my phone, I can check my texts and get calls and in emails, and that's about it. And it has made me more available for life to happen. I want you to ask yourself how you can make yourself more available for life to happen this week. Wow. Am I like the ultimate Bill Murray fanboy or what? This was such a fun episode, but it was also a very enlightening one. And it was such a delight to just dive into these philosophies. And we went deep today on Bill Murray. So Uh, I don't think it's possible to overdose, but if it were, you know, that might have happened today. I think it's safe to say that Bill Murray's whole career and intervention are an attempt to wake people up to be more consistently here, really in and really alive. Remember this week that life is not a dress rehearsal. Make yourself available, let go of the not important stuff, because nine times out of ten...
1: It just doesn't matter!
0: (laughs) never forget that happiness is a skill and life is a team sport catch you next week